welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. I feel like I've said that 83 times now, and I have, so... Um, this is gonna be a pretty cool day. I'm a little. I'm gonna be a little bit struggling for time on this first one, but I've got plans to do a double podcast, uh, which I have to do because this week I also plan on doing the live bow builds for both the Hoyt Prevail with the X3 cams and also the live bow build for the Pro Defiant 34. That both be my bows. So I'm going to build one for indoor archery. I'm going to build um, a new hunting bow. My very first uh, Pro Defiant that I got was wasn't a true production run yet. So um, I'm going to get the actual production one going, and it's also in my Reaper camo, which I kind of missed and should be good i've got some late season doe tags and a late season buck tag that i can still go for next month Um, but we're going to do those both of those builds on the knock on tv facebook pages i'll do the builds live Um, i'll probably try to take some questions from people while i'm building Um, you're definitely going to need to make sure you got some time uh, it could be quick. It could be a really long uh, live feed. I'm not really sure, but either way, you do need to uh, be there. Otherwise, I will post it later on uh, YouTube, and you can watch it there several times. The only difference is you're not going to have your opportunity to chime in and throw a question at me. So I guess... Uh, check that out i think you're gonna like it i'm still trying to wake up here it's early early in the morning and i uh didn't get to do my morning hot tub i crashed my bike yesterday um not looking good for the leg so i can't really get in the hot tub plus i've got a bad case of poison ivy going on so i'm kind of stuck with just a cup of coffee but that's good I like my cup of coffee. I'm having it in um, one of these Yeti low balls. I like that. If you if you're um, if you're into coffee in the morning and you're sick of a regular coffee cup getting cold, try it. In one of these little low balls. It's perfect. It's uh, it's like the exact size of a cup of coffee. Behind me, I've actually got one of these little plug-in skillet things that you're supposed to set your coffee cup on. Uh, Sharon got it for me for Christmas one year because she knows I always come down here in the morning and start working and my coffee gets cold. But I think that thing's a fire hazard and this little low ball is working good. Um, just so everyone knows too, I, I'm i getting ready to load on a whole bunch of new awesome stuff on the Knock on Archery store. One of them is going to be, I bought a bunch of Yeti stuff with the knock-on logo on there. It's going to be pretty cool. I started using Yeti stuff probably, I guess, three months ago. I feel like I was the last person on on Earth to try one, and uh, I'm loving them. So, yeah, I ordered some knock-on cups from their custom shop. I'll put those on the website. Got some crazy cool shirts coming new hoodie uh some good stuff we're gonna we're gonna have um oh also update on the arrow rest so a lot of questions coming in about the arrow rest and availability um so there's two new parts that are being machined um they're actually at the anodizer right now they got pushed in front of priority on all the other stuff that aae is making right now which i'm thankful for Um, but we're going to have those parts back, we hope, by early next week. Um, 
I'd hoped to take some photographs of the finished product for the packaging. However, I may skip that on this initial batch and just have a real plain packaging just so that I can get some product out there. Originally, I wanted to have a whole bunch of cool stuff available on the website for like a Black Friday sale. Um, we wanted to have some really cool stuff ready for people for Christmas gifts or anything like that. Um, but this Aerorest, I really wanted to make sure I had this in time for people to start using it for indoors. There's been a ton of requests. Um, and you're going to have to just kind of tune in. And I'll show you when I do the builds on the bows, they're both going to have um, this fourth generation uh, rest on there but the there's two parts that are being machined that aren't going to be on there one is the new lever arm um, I've got a new lever arm that's slightly different um, I wanted to change the original design but yeah there is a new lever arm coming with a different shape and a different way to feed the cord also there is going to be um, a new launcher blade attachment i've decided to utilize the octagon um, launcher blades they're aae blades um, they're actually way more consistent the way they're cut out it's a more consistent blade and ideally um, if i had if i had one of the production ones here i was going to try it on the bow build but here's my goal my goal is to be able to have a bow shooting, and then for God forbid you break a blade off, I wanted a design to where I can take my launcher blade off the bow, put a new one on, and it'll shoot an X. That's my goal. So hopefully this new um, blade holder with the octagon blade, one, it's going to also allow you to use the freak launcher, um, Jesse Broadwater's launcher that he came out with, which will allow people with their X10s or Pro Tours, um, any micro diameter shafts, you're going to be able to get better clearance utilizing that freak blade, but you'll also be able to eat, still use a standard blade as well as a wide um, for indoor arrows. So, got some cool stuff coming. Um, unfortunately, I won't have an actual production rest for the build. I'm kind of bummed about that, but. It is what it is. That's how it's going. A um, couple other things, I guess, while I'm rambling on here. Uh, I've got a scheduled podcast tomorrow with Bow Junkie. Uh, so that should be pretty cool. Like those guys, uh, Greg, Danny, they're super cool guys, longtime friends in the industry. Uh, definitely two top choices to take that whole brand over and i'm thankful for it so we're gonna well who knows what we're gonna talk about um it's greg pool so he could get crazy and i'm gonna have to just go with it so it's their podcast so that's just what i'm gonna have to do but i've got a list of several different things here um that i want to talk about mainly these are all q and a's that I pulled off um, a couple different locations. I pulled some off the Facebook, some off Instagram, and also Sharon had some too. Um, I guess first up, I want to talk about, there's a couple things. I wanted to say thanks um, for contacting us about your success and also your support. There was a few um Sharon really tries to find emails that, you know, are super positive things that she knows I would want to see. And she puts them in front of me. There was a few um, that I just kind of jotted down quick. There's a ton of you guys that are posting some awesome success with the knock to it releases. I know my buddy um, Zach Kurtzall shot a really good mule deer in Montana that Hoyt posted. He shot with a knock to it. Um, but also, Ernie Santana sent in a really cool email with an awesome Columbia Blacktail that he shot in Velvet. Um, Brian Deer from Hawaii uh, sent in a really cool picture with a sweet Robin Hood that he had shot. And then also, um, 
Steve and I believe his son Robbie Cop um, have sent in some emails with specific to some success with the knock on uh, knock to it releases and I believe they got silverbacks as well so um, thank thank all of you so much again that was a short list but I do want everyone to know out there that I appreciate the support from all of you and it certainly doesn't go without um, being seen I guess the one last quick uh, thing I wanted to talk about sorry I'm not diving into archery stuff yet but bear with me um, I've got a new web being created new website that's going to that's being in the works right now I've got um, a buddy of mine coming here in a few weeks so we're going to really help try to get this thing going in the right direction but I'm really working towards having one of the most dynamic websites that there is for archery education and being able to watch videos, instructionals, rewatch the live feeds. You're going to be able to go there directly for the podcast. You can still get podcasts directly off iTunes as well, but everything's going to just channel through um, the new website and I'm fairly certain we're going to probably gravitate everything to one location now. Um, I know that I've been doing the DudleyArchery.com. I've been doing the KnockOnTV.com. And then obviously we have the KnockOnArchery.com for the store. But we're going to try to roll all those into one location um, and kind of give you an informational highway. There's also discussion about possibly starting a knock on forum. I'm going to have to talk with some people about this. I know that I'm going to probably chime in and maybe start some threads if we go that route, but I'm not going to be able to mediate it. There's no way I'll have that amount of time, but ideally if if these guys are good enough at convincing me to start a new forum, uh there's not it's going to be a anti rat hole policy if people start going down the rat hole slinging mud they'll be gone um unfortunately that was the big downside for me with archery talk i thought it was a very good opportunity to um really educate people and grow archery but you know unfortunately it just starts to become this big negative and at times they're not always negative but certainly at times it gets going that route and that's just really disappointing that's pretty much why i never go on there anymore go on there to try to help a few people and you know a few few other people ruin it for the rest of everybody so i guess if i were to do a forum it would be for the reason of having people to go for a safe haven to to learn give their opinions but also uh keep the crap out of there that would be my that would be my goal um the first question here is going to be from sean keeney and he's saying i'm setting up a nitrum 30 and to get the top cam in time with the bottom cam like you showed on your knocking ready to rock series i'm twisting the cable leading to the bottom cam which is the same cable with the yokes, right? Yep, that's your power cable or your uh, bus cable. Uh, the other one, by the way, is called the control cable. Um, the one that doesn't have the, the split yoke would be called the control cable. Um, the split yoke themselves are twisting where they come out of the serving to separate. Um, any idea what I may be doing wrong? So... Um, let's see, he kind of goes on to say, um, I've already taken a few twists out of the opposite cable as to not over twist the yoke cable. Hope that's not, not too confusing. So the bottom line is he was trying to, um, time his bow or synchronize his cams and it was showing him that he needed to twist the yoke cable or the power cable more so that you know both cams are in sync when he started to do that once you add too many twists you'll actually start to twist up the yoke now depending on 
a couple things depending on the length of your cable the overall length of the cable and then also how much serving there has to be <clears throat> on that cable um, you twisting up the actual split yoke system becomes more um, there's more of an opportunity to do that when you don't have a lot of exposed string between the servings so on some of these shorter bows where the cams are big and there's a lot of serving that has to be placed on the string in order to you know to fully cover the cam as it's drawn back you don't have a lot of exposed string so when you start to twist that string up what will happen is you start to wind up that top yoke as well it's not anything really that you need to worry about um, what you can do is, you know, up at the yoke system itself, the two small split yokes, um, you know, one twist on each side of those is about equal to one full twist on the main, the main one on the bottom. So if you get to the point where you start to twist up your cable and you need just a little bit more except you're starting to twist up your yoke cable. From that point, what you want to do is just add like equal twists on both the right and left side of your yoke. Um, you what's nice about the yoke is you can balance your top cam, but it also gives you a little bit more room to twist things up. So you don't want to only twist one side because then you're going to change how that cam leans. So if you do it evenly, for example, say when you drew your bow back, you notice that you probably needed one or two more twists in your your cable. If that cable was twisted already to the point where it was starting to twist that yoke system at the top, then what I would have done at that point, I would have put like a full twist in each side of that yoke. I would have done it so that my cam lean still stays vertical, still stays straight. However, I wouldn't have been adding those full twists. Now, if you do twist up that split yoke system, that's not going to really hurt anything as well. Um, in the past years, there's been people that have argued how deep that that V should be um, with your split yoke. Years ago, Ulmer shot a very, very wide one. Um, he didn't like it being super tight and narrow. Other people have built them very tight and narrow, and they've liked them that way. Um, when I was at Matthews, we built them that way for a long time. Uh, so it's it's arguable which way is going to be best, but the good thing is you do have the ability to twist evenly each side of the yoke or the main, the main one itself. Um, I have noticed on some strings and cables, <coughs> what happens is if the person that's putting the serving on, and I noticed this on some recent um, strings and cables that I had sent in because sometimes I get my servings done with a white serving, and if it's white, then it actually, when it goes on, it turns clear. Um, I do that sometimes because I want to look at how a string's actually built. If when it's served and I can see that under the serving, the string does not still have consistent twists, then what that means is the serving tool itself was, was turned with too much tension when it was spun on, when it was spinning your serving on. And what happens is you squirt all the twists out the ends of the string and you push them to the middle of the string or the cable and that prevents you from being able to have much room to add twists and the other problem is especially if they do it on the string is eventually those twists that are in your string they will start to resettle back underneath that serving and what will happen is over time your peep just continually rotates around because that serving wasn't put on properly. So there's a couple things there. Um, some sometimes, unfortunately, if if there's too many twists already in the cable when you get it, and if you have to put five or six more in there, you just don't have the room. So you're gonna have to do what I said. 
Um, but I will say, Sean, I prefer to add twists than take twists out because when you take twists away, um, you start to lose some of the stability in that string or cable. I really like a string or cable to have twists. I like it to be round and twisted. It actually um, it propels better through the air. If you don't have very many twists in your string at all, um, those will flare out and they actually start to like open up. Um, they won't be as consistent. And I think there's also a different frequency in the vibration when your strings aren't twisted properly. Um, so put all that to use. Hope it helps. Appreciate the question. Um, next question here is from a man, Kevin Green, KG, um, which KG is actually a string maker, I believe. So he probably knows what I'm talking about, not being able to do them right. Um, Kevin went through some, I think he went through a heart surgery, something major, but, um, you sent me kind of a two-part question, actually. I copied and pasted the first part, which I'll get to in a second. But the second part, you were saying since your surgery, um, you are kind of struggling with your overall strength right now and getting back into archery or kind of wondering what you needed to do about that. Um, just start low, man. Hey, when I was went through my shoulder surgery... You know, I had to go to a 30-pound bow and started at 30 pounds and slowly worked my way back up. Um, a really good tool to always have, I really like to have one anyway, is I've actually got a little Matthews Genesis, a Genesis Pro. Um, they're cheap. They're, you know, I don't know, I think they're 150 bucks or something, but you can adjust a little peg in the cam to a draw length that you want. They're only... They're only a 25-pound max pull, but what's nice about the Genesis is there is not a let-off. So you actually, even though it's easier to pull the bow, you really start to build the muscles of your holding weight, which is important because sometimes breaking the bow over isn't the hard part. It's, it's actually being able to stay at full draw. I've actually got a Genesis Pro um, that I have a old um, VibraCheck airbow system on and I utilize that for any time I want to just shoot in the house I'll um I can just have that bow and I go through shot execution with it has a solid wall the holding weight's pretty high but the overall pulling weight is low allows you to get a lot of repetitions in that's how I start all my students with um with evolution style or like a silverback release now um, they'll start on that airbow where they're not actually firing an arrow and they're not looking through a sight or anything. They're just actually building muscle, building repetition. Um, the bungee cords and stuff, the elastic bands, they're okay, but I personally think that having a physical bow in your hand to do that's important. Even just blank bailing with a low poundage bow could be really good, but um, try one of those out too. They're pretty easy to get a hold of. Uh, pretty minimal on price and uh they've done really well for me even some of the best shooters in the world i've had shooting um a bow like that just for execution just to check form it's also really nice because <clears throat> because the weight is low on the bow the actual pulling weight you're able to make form changes and body changes that are normally much harder for people to do when they're trying to pull their full bow weight back. So it's a really good tool and really good aid for helping with that. Um, the second part of your question, Kevin, was um, could I do a podcast on shooting pins versus a single pin scope? Um, you said that you have a really hard time shooting pins well, if you are a target archer of the past and you grew up shooting single pin scopes because you were a target archer, then learning to shoot multiple pins can be a challenge. I personally really, really, really prefer multiple pins for any hunting situation. I know there's a movement to single pin to a single pin sights. I'm 
it's not hurting anything for people to do that. Um, I understand it. So go for it. But at the same sense, um, as when Joe was here with me uh, deer hunting, you know, he he looked at me and even said, I get it. I get why you shoot multiple pins because I can tell you right now, the deer, the deer that I shot last week, that buck came out, uh, came out at about 60 yards, was walking across the food plot. And um, as I was following him with the camera, I was also trying to range him. I was waiting for him to stop one time. Um, pretty much went from 60, you know, down to 50, to 40, 35, 30. Then, and he never stopped. I was waiting for him to stop that whole time. I just had my rangefinder button down and it was just flashing numbers. I was just waiting for it to hit one number in the buck to stop so I can make my shot, let go of the camera and, and make my shot. The buck ended up running that doe out of the food plot. Uh, within a minute later, I turned and looked. The buck was making a scrape. I ranged that. It was 40 yards. It's kind of pre- prepping for a shot there. And then within i'm not kidding you'll be able to see it when the episode comes out but within 10 seconds i ended up shooting that deer at seven yards if you had a single pin sight there's a very very high chance that you're either gonna not make a proper shot placement or you're not going to even get your shot to happen that's the truth uh with the single pin that's gonna happen now if you if when that deer was out there you just happen to move your sight back to 20 yards or 25 you know there are ways around it but when it comes to true accuracy i can shoot multiple pins much better the main thing is i have to shoot a a pin housing that's the exact size of my peep and i always center the housing with my peep then i'll raise or lower my bow to use whichever pin is the distance i don't center each pin in the peep some people when they hunt i know my buddy darren cooper um that i used to hunt with a lot he centers each pin in the center of his peep sight for every distance so his scale and his pin gaps are a little bit whacked out i personally center the housing first and what that allows is all my pins have very proportional gapping Um, then what i do is i have a 20 30 40 50 yard pin and from there what i'll do is every distance past that i'll center the scope housing in my peep and then i'll utilize the bottom pin and i'll move the whole site down on my sherlock i'll move it down i'll shoot and i'll get a 60 yard mark And then I'll go and I'll get a really good 90-yard mark. From there, what I do is I'll take that measurement and I'll find a scale that fits perfectly um, to where the 60 to 90 has a perfect match. And what that does is it allows me to then have a home base, um, which like right now on my scale, I have a home base to where... The home base is actually the number, you know, it's 50. It's 50 yards. And for every distance further than that, I'm just rolling my Sherlock, moving that sight down, utilizing my bottom pin. And again, I'm all, even though I'm only using the bottom pin, I'm fully centering the scope housing and the peep first. The pin is towards the bottom of my sight picture, but it has to be that way in order for your scale to work properly. So... That's my thoughts. Give it a try. I hope it works out. I hope you get better, Kevin. Appreciate everything. Appreciate your support, man. You've been been, uh, my Facebook friend for a long, long time, longer than I can remember, and uh, certainly don't uh, forget things like that, so I appreciate it. Um, Next question here is from Shane Miner. Um, Shane's saying, I'd like to ask a question. I've been reading a lot of posts on line about tuning i don't know what that is what is a better way to tune a bear shaft tune or a paper tune i wonder if he's wonder if it spell checked it to walk back tuning line about maybe that was walk back tuning um 
That seems to be a big topic. I have paper tuned and I have bear shaft tuned and I've also walk back tuned. Um, so yeah, I guess that's what his question should have been at the beginning. I sometimes find some bows won't bear shaft tune for me, but what's your thoughts on these types of tunes? So they all show different things. I've said this in the past. There's, I can tell you from my personal experience that my hill method identifies the same things that bear shaft tuning does. Um, the hill method and the horizontal impact line actually identifies um it shows you whether or not your spine is a proper match for your bow so it's very similar um if you're bear shaft tuning and you're not able to get the bear shaft to come into play even though you're making movements it's because the spine is not matched um to that particular setup it's a lot of work um you know, you, you have a lot more things to factor in. You know, if your front of center isn't ideal, a lot of times they won't bear shaft tune. I've had bows that do bear shaft tune, yet they don't shoot as good as what I'd like them to. I've also had bows that bear shaft tune, but then they're not shooting a good hole through paper. Um, they're shooting in line, but the air of flight isn't necessarily good. You know, I look back at like old slow motion footage. If you look back to like old Easton footage or old PSE slow motion footage, you know, there's there's footage um, of people like Terry Ragsdale or Butch Johnson shooting bows that are, you know, they were world record score type bows at the time, but there's some of them that just had horrid arrow flight um, or terrible clearance. So... How a bow groups and how a bow shoots through paper or bear shaft tunes or even walk back tunes, um, they can all be slightly altered. Um, I don't think it, there's ever a perfect scenario. Now, my personal way of doing it is I will shoot through paper first. I've shot enough bows with my particular configurations and builds to where I have a good understanding of what arrow matches my setups properly. So what I'll do is I'll get a good hole through paper. I like to identify that I don't have any improper clearance. That's big for me. If, if I have contact on the cables, if I have contact on the rest, if I have contact from, you know, if your strings turn and your loops always to the side and it seems like your arrow's always getting kicked over and then you come to find out your loop is spinning as it's going forward and hitting the back of the arrow and kicking it over. Um, anything like that, to me, causes inconsistency. I'm a big believer in clearance and I probably spent, like, I probably spent more time learning my actual vein orientation, like on some of these, like on my new Hoyts. Um, for example, with the Zero Torque Cable Guard, um, they're awesome because you don't have, you don't have to worry about your sight pins being outside of your arrow shafts because the riser isn't twisting like some of the bows on the market. However, you do have less clearance because you're not they're not pulling those cables over off to the side of the bow as far. So you have to be careful if you're shooting a high profile vein and if you're shooting a cock vein up, then the bottom right vein can easily contact that cable and it's going to cause a left tear. It's also going to cause, um, if you don't pay attention to your knock, uh, your vein orientation or where your knock position is in relation to your veins, then some arrows might fly awesome and then all of a sudden you have two arrows out of your quiver that just fly like crap and you have to pay attention to this as soon as i build a set of arrows i replace all the knocks i put nocturnals in all of them and then what i'll do is i'll take the little tool and i'll turn them um it's important to use a knock tool a lot of people use their teeth or just clamp it on the bow and reef it around um, when you do that you you start to twist open those ears on the knock and you start to have a variance in how one knock clips on your serving versus another and that can definitely affect groupings 
but I use the tool and I index the knocks. For me on my Hoyts, on the new Hoyts, I found that if you're looking straight down the back of the string, if your top vein is sitting at like one o'clock in relation to your string, if your string's at 12 o'clock, have your top vein at one o'clock. So it's kind of a modification between cock vein up and cock vein out. Uh, clearance is ideal. Um, so I'll start with paper. I'll shoot through paper. If I get a perfect hole, then the next thing I do is I'll go out and try to, uh, as quickly as possible, get to a longer distance and shoot a group. I'll sight in at 20, uh, get my 20 mark, and then once I'm really dead on there, I'll try to just um, work my way back to get to about 80, and then I'll just lob some groups down there. If I, if I know I'm making good shots and I can see that you know my arrows are stretched out horizontally, then obviously I know there's something I need to tweak slightly. Um, with the you know that's part of the hill method, the horizontal impact line. If the horizontal impact line is very wide, it's telling me that the spine isn't correct. So I'll adjust the poundage on the bow to try to identify whether or not I need to weaken the shaft or stiffen the shaft. And then from there, I'll make the decision on what I want to do. Um, if, if it's way off, then I may need another spine size. For example, if I built an 80-pound bow and tried to shoot the arrow that I have right now, for my 70-pound bow, it's just not going to work. It's gonna, I'm going to have a terrible horizontal impact line. And I'm going to know that you know adjusting a few pounds isn't going to do it i'm going to need a stiffer spine i would probably have to go to a 260 spine um, however if you're close if it's shooting pretty good just not great and you go back and all of a sudden you take three pounds off your bow and it, it just clears right up your groups just tighten right up then i know that okay that shaft was a little bit weak and as i lowered the poundage it's ultimately it gives you a stiffer arrow correct so as I stiffened up that arrow, it responded better. So then I've got the option of, okay, I need a slightly stiffer arrow. I don't need it real stiff, but I do need it slightly stiffer. So what's my options at that point? My options are either I shoot it at three or four pounds less than what I originally wanted to and just be happy with it. It's grouping awesome. It feels comfortable. Everything's fine. Otherwise, then I start to look at, okay, how much room do I have to trim off my arrow? If I'm within three pounds of having a, an arrow work perfectly, then I know that I'm probably with one to two inches of cut on that arrow will easily go that, that half a spine size that I'm needing. So at that point, I can either say, well, I need to, I'm going to trim, you know, I've got room to cut some of this arrow off. So I'm going to cut an inch off this arrow, cut an inch and a half and stiffen it up a little bit and go from there, which is something that I did earlier this year on an ACC, um, which is nice because on an ACC, you can actually, um, on any type of aluminum core arrow, I like the fact that you can use hot melt. You can remove an insert. You can cut the arrow off. Then you can put an insert back in, and you can um, index that insert to align your broadheads with your vein if you want. Now, the problem with the hit inserts is... They're internal, so at that point, you almost have to, you know, if you want only an inch off, then you may have to actually strip your fletchings off, cut off the back of the arrow, reinstall a knock, and, you know, that way you're not having to, to deal with the hit insert because, you know, normally that hit insert is back in there at least an inch and a half. Now, if you had that much room, you could cut that off. It would stiffen the arrow. Things would be good. Another option is point weight. Less point weight equals stiffer spine. So, okay, let's say with the arrow that I was shooting, it was a axis with 50 grains of brass. Um, okay, at that point, I'm, I can either uh, shorten the arrow, go to a different spine size, and stay with the 50 grains of brass, or I can drop that brass out, go back to an aluminum insert, slightly lower my FOC, however, um, and slightly lower the overall weight of my arrow, but for spine um, merging and you know getting that spine to agree with the actual build of the bow, they're going to come together. So that's kind of your options. I like 
uh, I like walk-back tuning for identifying my left and right um, adjustment on my arrow rest. It also helps identify if someone is having improper um, facial contact. You know, if someone's always continually hitting further and further and further and further left as they're shooting or further and further and further right, it can identify things that are happening in your technique as well. Um, so each one of those has its place. I personally have done it to the point where I think shooting through paper, then uh, just shooting my groups and seeing my horizontal impact line, it helps that a lot. Now the walk back tuning is something that I like to do with the broadhead. If I ever feel like my broadheads just really are not hitting close to my field points at all, then the walk back tuning is great to do with broadheads identifies some things. It certainly identifies whether or not you can get a certain broadhead to work or whether or not it's just continually planing and flying off target no matter what you do. It just helps eliminate that. In some designs, that's just how it is. They they fly off target and there's nothing you're going to do about it. Um, next question here is from Rosendo. Rosendo Sombrio. Um, hey buddy, how you doing? Hopefully I said that right. Um, it says, hi dad, I'm planning to purchase the new Hoyt Prevail for target archery. I'm confused on the cam that I have to go with on the bow. My draw is 26 inches. Do you recommend, do you recommend the SVX or the X3? So the XVX is going to be a newer version of a spiral cam, right? Um, the X3 cam, which is what I'm shooting on my Prevail, um, is the new version of a GTX cam. So here's my opinion. I've always shot the GTX cam or the original cam and a half or the X3 cam system will be in those same categories. I've always shot those better when I'm shooting them at the closer to peak weight for target archery. In other words, shooting them close to 60 pounds. The other thing is, at my particular draw length, which I'm 31, I've found that the valleys on the spiral cams get fairly short the longer you go in the cam sizes. I've had bows that are short draw length bows. And for example, um, Danny McCarthy and me are very different in draw length. Danny used to shoot spiral cams at, I think he shot close to, he shot very high weight. I forgot what weight he shot, but I remember him and I shot um, on the same target in Reading one year together. And I was just almost dumbfounded that he was able to shoot a spiral cam at that pulling weight. And I said, man, that's, you know, that's great. I don't, there's no way I'd be able to control that throughout the tournament. But I grabbed his bow, and when I pulled his bow back, his bow felt like a completely different beast than what mine did. If I shot that same spiral cam at my draw length, it felt like it was twice as hard to keep back at full draw, and the forgiveness was just way less. Danny's bow at his draw length with that spiral cam actually felt closer to mine did with my GTX cam. Now, my other buddy, um, well, I mentioned him earlier, Darren Cooper, who helped in the original design of the cam and a half system. He was one of the big advocates to the original spiral cam, and his draw length, I think, was right at 28 inches or something like that. And he told me that back at the time, the original spiral cam was really designed to be most efficient at that shorter draw length. Um, it was really intended to help the shorter draw length people boost their speed and still have forgiveness. So I'm just going to say I haven't personally shot the SVX cam yet. Um, but I'm personally going to say I think you should give that a try at your shorter draw length. If history proves itself, you may feel like that cam is very manageable for you. Um, now personally last year, um, last year on my target bow, when I got a podium, I actually got it with the spiral cam and I 
did not prefer it that way. Maybe it was two years ago. I think it was two years ago. Um, last year I shot the Hyper Edge, but um, yeah, it was two years ago. And I can tell you that for the speed difference for me, it wasn't worth having to be that aggressive on the bow. Now, for someone like Steve Anderson, who is our current um, world field champion, uh, Steve shoots a super aggressive bow. Like he, his thought process is that he wants a bow that's ultra demanding to where it forces him to be a hundred percent on the top of his game. Uh, I disagree with that because when I get nervous, things tighten up. Um, I don't want a bow that's going to take it away from me. Um, so I've just done well with the easier pulling cam. I, I just really fall towards forgiveness versus speed um i think forgiveness always uh wins over the long haul i think performance can win on the short track but i think for longevity throughout a full tournament forgiveness is going to do make a difference you know it's kind of like if you take sports cars you know if you had to if we had a race that was just you know, five years long without stop, you know, truthfully, probably some Toyota or Honda is going to win that race. But if we, uh, if we've got a race that's just 300 yards long, you know, put an American muscle car on there and let's get this job done, you know? So it just really depends what you want to do. I'm going to, even though I'm personally favoring the X3 for my setup and I like how that feels, I'm going to say you might really want to try that SVX cam first because of your short draw length and you may like it. If you feel like the valley is too too short, if you feel like maybe the bow's wanting to go away from you a little bit, um, try getting some cables built with a smaller serving diameter, like maybe get like a a 10 thousandths or a 15 thousandths serving diameter um you could do like a halo or something or maybe drop two strands out of your cable so that you have a slightly uh smaller cable diameter and that will help you increase your let off and also it'll help you increase your valley as well i'm doing pretty good here i'm getting a little bit tight on time i know i've got about 10 minutes here before I got to get um, my buddy Eric on for another podcast. Uh, next question here is from Joe McKinney. Um, just asking, can you talk a little about, about the pros and cons of a kisser button? I have one, but after listening to your last podcast, I question whether I should have. Um, thanks and great two bucks uh, for the year and love the live feeds. Uh, let's see. And then you say, do you have any advice on highly pressured public land in particular? Should I hunt thick bedding cover or pinch points between two bedding areas? Um, So during the rut, I would certainly say um, either one of those are going to be very good. Um, During the rut, a lot of, I think, wherever people are less likely to come out of the timber in the middle of the day is going to be one what I would look at. You know, I think if I was hunting public land, which I'm actually going to hunt public land here in Iowa just for um, all of my doe tags. Um, I'm going to go out and just do some self-guided public land hunts. Um, I would just really go where I see less traffic. And, um, you know, either one of those points during the rut is good. Now here in the Midwest, you know, we're kind of right dead in the middle of it. Um, Actually, while we were talking... Uh, Ralph Cianciarillo just texted me. Um, he's he just shot a really nice ten pointer, um, so that's pretty good. And actually, he's a uh, yep. Well, Ralph's wanting to come by, so um, Ralph may be stopping at my house tomorrow um, on his way back home from that hunt. So that could be cool. We could do a little podcast with um, Ralph. Maybe we'll get Ralph. Um, maybe we'll get Ralph in on, on one of these builds too. I'll see how his time's working out for him. But, um, he was hunting in thick cover. I know that he was hunting thick cover throughout the whole day. Um, he struggled quite a bit. Um, he said that 
in this text. He said, finally got him at 310 this afternoon. Um, you know, you, you can't just hunt a few hours in the morning, a few hours at night. You got to be out there. But those thick bedding areas when the does are in lockdown can be really good. They like to dive into those real thick areas with a lot of down timber and briars and thickets. But once the bucks really are past that lockdown stage, which we're getting very close to that, they're going to start covering a lot of ground. So any type of travel corridor is going to be more likely to see a buck that's on his feet and really moving through. Um, When it comes to the kisser button, I personally, if you're a hunter and you're going to shoot at a fixed distance, um, you know, you're shooting fixed pins, you're going to be shooting 20 to 50 yards, I think a kisser button's fine. It's a good reference. What I would ask you, though, is develop into your shot routine a system where you're drawing back, you're anchoring, and then you're adjusting your head to where the kisser button then touches the corner of your mouth and the tip of your nose is on the string. You don't want to just get in the habit of always pulling the kisser button back to your face and not um, and not worrying about your anchor position because you can pull that kisser button to touch your lip and you can contort your lip or contort your face, but then your anchor may be higher or you may be lower. And that anchor position has so much... Uh, determination on your ups and downs and lefts and rights so i don't mind a kisser button if you're shooting you know a fairly short range of distances now if you're shooting everything from 15 meters to 90 meters like target archers do or a full field archer does um, i think not having that kisser button would be a better option focusing on anchor then adjust in your head to acquire the peep sight and put that string on the tip of your nose. Uh, the next question I got here, uh, hey, John, love the podcast. Need your advice looking for new bow this year. I've been shooting a lot over the last year. I've been shooting a mid-range PSC, and I'm looking to upgrade. I'm wondering if you had a chance to shoot um, Hoyt's new double XL. I'm 6'4", 31-inch draw. Any suggestions would be appreciated. Um, eight inch brace height sounds really forgiving. Um, and this is coming from Steve. So, um, I, I have not shot, I have not really built this prevail, this production prevail to shoot it enough to tell you a hundred percent. I'm expecting it to be good. Um, I don't have the double XL. I don't believe, um, I personally like a bow to fall in around that 38 to 40 inch axle axle range. Um, I really like, I actually like a brace height around seven inches. Seven and a half um, as well is pretty good. Um, I personally don't, well, I talked before about a bow that was built, and actually the bow that was built. for me, the very first day that I showed up at the Hoyt factory, it was probably similar to a double XL, if I'm honest with you. It was similar to a double XL with a spiral cam. Um, it was a, a pro elite riser with a extra long limb. It was a limb that wasn't in production yet. It was a little bit longer than 3,500 limb with a... Um, with a spiral cam and it utilized what was cool about it kind of was that it actually utilized the spiral cam number that was the most efficient spiral cam so it was actually that 28 inch spiral cam for the shorter models because these limbs were long and the brace height on that was crazy it was you know eight eight and a half inches or something like that it looked extremely forgiving and like I said, I shot the, the highest practice round I've ever shot in my life with that bow. Um, however, I never shot it again. I, I just found that it was almost too big, um, a little bit too much for me. I ended up settling um, with a, I ended up settling on a pro elite with 3,000 limbs. And spirals, even though I told you earlier I didn't particularly favor them. However, I had to shoot those spirals at 51 pounds in order to manage them. Um, that was one of the 
the best earlier Hoyts I shot. I did shoot the spiral cams, but I had to shoot nine pounds less pulling weight in order to really have the feel that I wanted on those particular cams. Um, I haven't shot the double XL, so I guess here in a few days I'll be able to start posting pics on how I'm doing with this one that I have. Um, I personally like to stay around that seven to seven and a half inch range. If the, if the brace height is too big, then your string angle is really open. It's really wide. So you almost, in a way, I almost have to shoot a longer D loop so that the string's like almost in front of the corner of my mouth so that it's touching the tip of my nose without me having to lean my head back. Um, that's kind of what I look for. I like my head to be in a vertical position. I don't like my head to be leaning back. I like it to be perfectly vertical. And I like that string to be at the corner of my mouth, tip of my nose. We'll see how this one looks when I build it. Um, make sure you tune into that. I think you're going to like that. Uh, let's see. Next question here is from Joe. says, thanks for your insight, technical detail you put in your videos and podcasts. Um, your podcast helped me get through the L.A. traffic. Damn, I know what that's like. Yeah. I feel like doing more podcasts just to help a brother out. Um, I'm looking for help advice on pulling back the bow. I shoot a trigger style release in a 70-pound PSE Decree HD. I don't have the strength, whether it's the current setup at 70 pounds or even down to 50 pounds, to pull it straight back or slightly up with my chin level. I can pull using all arm across my chest and then rotate my elbow up into the lock position. Um, I'm pretty average in strength, and I do know my way around the gym. Is there any use, um, is there any probably advice you can give me is what he meant to say. I want to become more smooth and not get tired after shooting 30 to 40 shots. So really the thing is repetition. Blank bailing is a really good way um, to do this. T certainly turn that bow down. Um, you know, this is really common with kids or women, really anyone that first starts to shoot archery and doesn't really understand how leverage works and how your arms work and movement and all that stuff. But you definitely want to be able to get in the habit of just raising that bow arm to the target and drawing that release hand back towards the face if you're having to pull with your elbow down and really pull back into your chest like you're talking about and then bring all that up if you're having to really arch your back or cock your hips forward it's just too much weight um, some people just get in that habit of from their very start of pulling too much weight um, the other thing too is you know, certain cam systems are more forgiving than others. Um, for example, I could, I'm going to just speak Hoyt just because I shoot Hoyt. Um, but I could shoot a turbo cam system, but I personally don't like the draw cycle of the turbo cam system. I, I would much rather prefer an easier cam system to pull back. Um, there's a lot of times during hunting scenarios where... You know, I have to draw back extremely slow and come to full draw, and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting for a shot. Last thing I want is a cam system that I can't do that with or one that's trying to take it away from me. But then there's also times where my shot opportunity doesn't happen, so I actually have to let that bow down just as equally slow so that I can wait for the next shot. Um Great exercises in the gym are going to be um, rows, rows, pull-ups. Pull-ups are great. Um, deadlifts are also good. Um, and then lat pull-downs are going to be good. Those are all good for building that strength that we're talking about. Um, I'm a... I'm a a big believer in kettlebells right now. It's something you could get a kettlebell for in your house. You could do rows with that. Um, 
that would really help you build that strength not only in your back but also your bicep at the same time and your rear delt, um, your rear deltoid muscle would be really good. But uh, don't be afraid to turn that bow down and just blank bail so you're focusing on reps more than actual where you're hitting on the target. And also um, shoot more arrows without rest just for the standpoint of developing your stamina. So, for example, when I used to shoot full fetas where I was shooting six arrows, scoring arrows per end, a lot of times when I'd practice, I'd practice with nine arrows an end because I really wanted to develop, even though I was strong enough to pull a bow, and I was certainly strong enough to pull 60 pounds, there's a difference between just a slight bit of fatigue on your sixth arrow versus having a slight bit of fatigue on your ninth arrow. It's no different than running. If you only ever run um, three miles every single day, that doesn't mean you can't run five. It just means that the the first time you go from three to five, that fourth and fifth are going to be a lot tougher. Now, if you're acclimated to doing five all the time, then the three is going to be really easy. So, same thing applies. Um, you know, right now, if you're only shooting one or two arrows and pulling the target, just lower that poundage and really muster through just executing more arrows and just trying to build that stamina up. But do that on a blank bail or do it on something where you're not focusing on the scoring. And, uh, you know, that way you won't develop any bad habits at all. Um, getting into the last question here. Uh, is actually coming in from Kevin Pritt. Um, Kevin is saying, um, I'm a 27-year-old pharmacist from North Central West Virginia. I wasn't sure the best way to ask you. I thought I'd start here. I recently purchased a new bow, and I'm struggling to find my anchor point. I've recently found a huge discrepancy on my shooting when I put my hunting in my my hunting jacket and my hunting clothes on, I'm guessing I can't get anchored the same way because of this hunting jacket. Um, at 40 yards, I really begin to spray arrows, and my current anchoring technique is to use my index knuckle and slide it behind my earlobe, um, then drop my lip to the kisser button. I've got no confidence in the moment, and I'm looking for a way to maintain consistent accuracy. Um, so this was actually something Joe and I talked about, um, as well, because, you know, he started to say, yeah, I kind of start to feel restricted with clothing and it's definitely true. Um, once you start to really layer up, you start to, you know, it's no different than a bodybuilder that has massive biceps, you know, their range of motion and how, you know, they're a lot more compact when they go to pull back. They're not going to be as lengthened out as, as me, um, for example. And, you know, this is kind of one reason why a lot of top recurve shooters don't really like to, um, get, their recurve archers too bulky because they're if they're too bulky they they aren't able to get their proper alignment proper technique so i actually because i know with hunting season here in the midwest i'm going to start to really bundle up and have a lot of clothes on um i actually shorten my draw length a little bit just because i know i'm not going to be able to get all the way back to that that full extension um, when I'm all bundled up. So I shorten my draw slightly. It's a little bit different having to shoot that way when you've got restriction on your arms and especially your anchor arms specifically. And then also if you have a glove on, you know, feeling that anchor point on the glove, um, that can get difficult. Now for me, I've found that the handheld releases are much more consistent um, because I can shoot a small glove. Um, I can, my release is always clipped on my D loop, so I can keep my hands in my pockets. I can keep them warm. I have little glove liners on, so I don't have thick gloves. And when I grab my release, that feels the same. And when I pull back and I'm anchoring on my jaw, that feels the same as well. Now, when I did shoot like years ago, um, I shot like a Scott Mongoose. 
um, that release for me felt when I was really bundled up or I had like a um, a neck gaiter on or I had a thicker glove on because that release is always strapped around your wrist um, you know it's was kind of restrictive to always have it in your pocket and stuff so I always had bigger gloves on as well and all that kind of added into that having the kisser button um, would actually benefit in that situation because even though your anchor is not feeling consistent just having the assurance of that kisser button um, could be super beneficial but I will say this situation is why I personally prefer a handheld release because being able to draw back and put that index finger under my jawbone and my middle finger above my jawbone it feels consistent all the time um, if your draw length is slightly longer than what it should be then there's a very good chance that once you're restricted with thicker clothes that you're gonna feel uncomfortable and that's just nature of the beast so hopefully that helps you out. The other thing too um, I wanted to mention is if you go to the Knock on Archer YouTube channel, um, there was you should be able to type in. Um, let's see if you type in John Dudley um, release. Um, there's actually a video called um, Mastering the Release Aid. And says John Dudley shows you some important tips. It's been watched a lot of times, and that's a very good place to start. So go to the YouTube and type in "mastering the release aid dash John Dudley," and you'll probably find it. So, hey, thanks everybody for tuning in. I'm six minutes late from getting a hold of my buddy Gudge. You guys are gonna like him. He's an awesome dude, one of my closest friends, and been with him a long time. Super energetic. All that good stuff, I'll talk about them in a minute. But uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and knock on. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com